and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 405. That's right. What are we talking about tonight? We are talking about a bunch of interesting things. Well, it's in the eye of the beholder, I suspect. Uh, so we're going to talk. We're going to talk about some DC news uh, that kind of broke at the end of last week, but we were already locked into doing what we were doing, so we figured we would deal with it this week. And then we'll roll over into uh, Green Lantern Earth One Volume Two, and we're and uh, we'll do a review of that. Yeah, so what happened over at DC is uh, essentially everybody used the, the, the word, the buzzword of the day at the time was bloodbath. A, what was described as a bloodbath at DC Comics in terms of layoffs. Uh, I believe, what did they say, roughly a third of the staff were something like that was let go. Yes. Um, DC Collectibles slash DC Direct is all but kaput. Uh, it's probably kaput. Jim Lee did say something along the lines of that um, that uh, may continue, but just in a different sort of fashion, maybe just working more directly with uh, licensing and stuff like that. Um, DC Universe is probably on its way out. Uh, I think that was probably a foregone conclusion once HBO Max was a thing, uh, and so many things from DC either started moving to the CW or over to HBO Max, and uh, things like Black Label are probably on their way out too. Um, so yeah, man, where do you where do you want to start? There's so many different aspects of this. <sighs> that that is true. It's kind of it's kind of hard to zero in on one thing. The it, it is conceptually the idea of DC Direct being gone is pretty powerful, even though it just looks like the Warner Brothers consumer products they're basically, I think that's I think a lot of people suspect they're going, that that part of the company is going to be taking over any DC merchandising, at least that's what I think the, the belief probably is um, the fact that yeah, you have a, that you had a third pretty much a third <laughs> being gutted, I mean that's the and including the editor-in-chief, Bob Harris getting the boot um, whole bunch of books. Whole bunch of books are being canceled. Uh, you know, with Jim Lee saying what what about what by twenty five percent of the books are not profitable. The, bo- the books that they publish, yeah. which kind of you know, which obviously opens the door right off the bat. Not being you know, not having to uh, be Nostradamus to suspect that pro- that obviously could mean that up to twenty five percent of what they what they're publishing now could uh, what they were publishing before they started slicing things off 
or though you know that twenty five percent was in danger. Um, it's 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 yeah it's it's. It's it's hard to just focus on one thing, you know, because it's like they kind of think that this is leading towards yet yeah, the the next reboot, uh, the next relaunch. You know, re, you know, rebirth seems like it wasn't that long ago, but it kind of was. Indeed, uh, and, and I guess I guess for, in DC standards, it was a long time ago. I don't know. It's it's just. I mean, I guess I guess DC collectible slash DC direct is a great place to start given your affinity for toys and the fact that, you know, I, I also collect some of that stuff as well. So that could give us a good, so what do you, what do you think that means toy market wise? Uh, how, how profitable did you ever think that DC director DC collectibles was given? I mean, like sure. Superman, Batman figures, Wonder Woman figures, things like that. But I know that at one point they had plans, I think for the icons line to put like put out an Etrigan and the demon figure and things like that. Now, obviously, those could have been smaller print runs if they ever decided to put those sorts of figures out on the market. But wasn't it just kind of an, uh, an I don't want to say a dumb idea, but like if you're if your goal is to sell as many units as possible, putting out figures constantly of obscure characters or of popular characters, but renditioned in a way from obscure storylines that the general public isn't aware of. Did you ever really see DC Direct or DC Collectibles being a truly uh, heavy hitter on on the scene? Or I mean, I think it was, I think from the perspective of it, be, it was important. I think there were things that I don't know if it's as important now. I think part of the problem, part of the problem, once you have every, when everybody can access almost anything. You know, we all love being able to order stuff online and being able to search for things online and find it here, find it there. That back in the day, obviously, when things, when before that was really uh, a go-to market or that e-commerce had really developed, that it was easier for them to corner the for them to corner the market on things on related to their characters. Between that and the Warner Brothers store, when that existed, they were able to. They had a niche, and they, and they knew they knew they knew they had a fan base, so they could. Depending how they limited the production run on things too, and I, I, I think it probably was bigger, bigger back in the day than like everything else. It probably got bloated where they were like, oh, you know, let's make eight thousand versions of this and eight thousand versions of that, and but we know it can work because we can, we know we know what it was like during Blackest Night. You know, Blackest Night they had so mm. much stuff and they did well and they did well with it. But, you know, Blackest Night stuff did really did really really well. Um, I think it makes, on one level, it makes sense, since it seems like they're going to an overall and internal distribution model or system with their comics, and now they're, and now whatever products they put out, that it's all going to be distributed, in, you know, internally, so maybe that's part of what, of how the reshuffling is going to be, why they're going to give it to this different part of WB now, or an existing part of WB, and just phase out something else from a downsizing perspective. You already have this arm of the company, so we just kind of like give them a little more responsibility. Or I think I think the bad news is, I mean, could obviously short term, I might very well mean a considerable down downsizing also in output that a lot of things that we're used to getting that we may not get. Now, as Green Lantern fans, we haven't had to worry in a while because we don't get anything. <laughs> but just generally speaking, I think that they could really cut cut back on stuff, which again might not be horrible, depending if they start if they 
being a little more finicky or maybe listening to people, the fans, a little bit more and uh, about some of the stuff that they want and some of the stuff that they don't. But it's weird it, the idea of not having a DC Direct, no matter what they called it, when they you know when they when they go back and forth and uh, not that long ago when it wasn't DC Direct and back to being the DC Direct. I that's kind of weird, you know. It seems weird not having not having that. But then again, the whole the whole. Everything's changed so much this year with them, with Diamond and everything else. So they're basically they they really are trying to like reinvent the wheel. It seems to save money, probably. Yeah, I I, I had a bunch of comics that I needed to go pick up. Uh, you know, being hospitalized and everything, and then uh, I thought there was a problem with my car at one point, so I hadn't been really going anywhere. So I finally this past weekend or whatever, uh, as we record this, this past weekend. Uh, went to a bunch of comic shops to, you know, catch up on however many floppies of the various series that I missed out on, uh, pick those up and things like that. Uh, but one of the, you know, by the way, <laughs> the stack of comics that I have to add into my long boxes now is at least a foot, foot high, <laughs> maybe a foot and a half. That's how many comics I had to grab, uh, single issues and, and well, trades are kind of stuff in here too, but, uh, Yeah. But while I was out, I, I also picked up, um, you know, because of this news, I didn't really anticipate there to be like a run on, you know, DC direct related uh, collectibles or anything like that. So I just I just it wasn't necessarily like, oh, I better get this or it'll be gone. It was just like, you know what? I'm going to regret not having this figure if I don't. One of my local comic shops and there's multiple in Austin had the DC icons uh, Firestorm, the one based on the new 52 design. Uh, and I've always looked at that figure and just gone, man, I want that Firestorm figure. But, yeah, I decided not to. The the Icons one that I, like, for sure wanted and got, you know, several months back, maybe a year or two ago, I don't know how long it's been, um, but the static figure that is, is static as he originally appeared in the comics, not as he appeared on the animated TV show. So static, not static shock. Um, so I, yeah, I, I just anticipated like, you know what, maybe, maybe these things are going to get harder and harder to find. I should probably just pull, finally pull the trigger on this firestorm figure now while it's still here. Uh, so I grabbed that and, you know, I just spent a lot of time in that aisle, just looking at, you know, do I want this? Do I want that? But really after a while, it was almost like, um, almost like visiting a museum, not in the fact that, uh, you know, already I'm just used to the idea of DC Direct not existing, but just kind of like really taking the time to look at the figures and appreciate them, you know, because, you know, maybe this this uh, particular type of way to get these figures or these characters is is gone forever. And maybe quite as quality figures or quite as detailed or quite as obscure or, or whatever the case may be. And man, DC Direct and DC. DC Collectibles put out a lot of fantastic stuff. You know, they t- took a lot of time with uh, a lot of their detail work and sculpting. Uh, some of, the, I mean, I know some action figure aficionados are like, okay, yeah, the sculpting is great, but the uh, articulation is shit sometimes, or maybe they don't do the, you know, a, a good amount of accessories or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, when I look at that static figure and I look at this fire, new Firestorm figure I have, these are pretty damn good figures. <laughs> Well, they definitely made some good stuff. There's no doubt about that. Um, 
not not everything they turn out, you know, they they've pumped out has been has been good, but we know there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that they've done uh, that's been good, and it's it's gonna you know it's gonna leave a void. It's gonna I think it's gonna leave a void, and sometimes you know place other other companies can can step in and do a good job because we've seen um you know Mattel's made a lot of cool figures. You know a lot of them a lot of the Mattel figures are. Especially some of the some of the Blackest Night versions of those figures they put out were actually cooler than I think the DC Direct figures. But it's what we're gonna get and how much we're gonna get. That's that is uh, I think that's one of the big questions too. Is like because you naturally would think we're gonna get less merchandise, right? That's what I would think. Yeah, and moving to the comic side of things, you know, it's it seems just from Lee's statement that. I think I think we all kind of inherently knew that you know the comics needed to be in one way or another a, the creative vehicle behind the behind the TV shows behind the movies behind the animated series and stuff like that because you know you, you got to have some source material um, something to something to draw off of but Lee just flat it's it's never been like just really said out loud and then Lee said. It is still the cornerstone of everything that we do, publishing comics, that is. The need for storytelling, updating the mythology, is vital to what we do. The organization leans on us to share and establish the meaningful elements of the content that they need to use and incorporate for all their adaptations. So, yeah, that's uh, definitely a whole lot more, uh, you know, it's a whole lot more obviously profit driven. Obviously, uh, I mean it's a business; it's got to be. But it just seems like it's it's much more just flat out, flat out and frank at this point. Um, I know that they had uh, had canceled Batgirl, Batman, and the Outsiders, Justice League Odyssey. They also announced that they were canceling Teen Titans, Suicide Squad, Young Justice, Hawkman, and John Constantine Hellblazer um, as well. So. Uh, I know that Dan really loved Young Justice. I think Jim did too. I haven't caught up with that series at, the, at this point, so um, I, I'm just I'm just trust trust that it was a great good series and it's going to suck uh, that it's going to be gone. I, I definitely was reading Hawkman from Robert Venditti, and that sucks that that was gone because I feel like he was really doing something there. Um, so yeah, man, they they canceled some books outright while letting people go, and man, it's crazy. Yes, I think it's the magnitude of the shakeup that surprised many people. People kind of knew it was coming. We've heard a lot of, I mean, we've heard some of these things for a while, especially the idea of focusing so much on digital. Of that being, even though, you know, Jim Lee tries to make it sound like, you know, basically if something can sell in digital, then yeah, well, then it'll sell on on a hard copy too. But that also doesn't mean that. There's going to be some books. I'm sure there's going to be some exclusive books that are going to be digital, or at least they're going to roll out that way to see if there's an audience for them. And it's probably cheaper that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that there's been an announcement on 
So Marie Javins and uh, Michelle Wells are now the editors-in-chief of DC Comics. Um, speaking towards that, uh, Van Jensen, I follow over on Twitter, uh, and uh, for those who don't remember, Van Jensen did uh, was Green Lantern Corps, right, uh, in the New 52? Yeah. So this is a, a cool little cool little sort of snippet, uh, kind of talking about why, in, in, in a way, pointing out why DC Comics needed some change, as well as, you know, kind of backing the new people, the new players in charge over there. Uh, at least in terms of Michelle Wells. So it's a three-tweet uh, thing. So here, let me pull this up. He says, A true story. When DC Comics moved to Burbank in 2015, a group of creators were flown out to make plans for the DCU. I met the new guy appointed to uh, head of book sales. I asked what his plans were to get DC books into the Scholastic Book Fair. He looked at me blankly. What's the Scholastic Book Fair? He asked. I tried to hide how stunned I was. Scholastic. They take books to every school in the country. Millions and millions of sales. That thing. More blank stares. The person tasked with selling DC Comics as books literally had not ever heard of the largest book-selling operation in the country. Perhaps because the audience was kids. Anyway, that guy got fired, and thank God, goodness DC later hired Michelle Wells. <laughs> yeah, well, crazy. Yeah, um, you know, so like Green Lantern Legacy is a great, a great thing to point out. Like it, it's, I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. You just have to, if we're gonna review it on a show like this with two adults doing it, you just have to understand that it's not marketed for you. And if you go into it with that expectation and just sort of switch your brain off and say, okay, you know, well, um, you know, whatever the target age market is for something like that. And, you know, sometimes that can drastically change. It can be much younger readers or it can be geared toward, you know, preteen, teen, that sort of thing. I just, I think that it's so strange to me that there are so many comic book fans out there who grew up reading comics and especially if you, if you go back and read a lot of those those older issues, um, you know, maybe maybe Bronze Age Justice League or whatever, how sort of weird and campy and, you know, sometimes violent, but like overall roughly kid-friendly a lot of that stuff was. And a lot of that stuff is remembered fondly, and yet these same comic fans kind of lose their shit when – you know, people try to publish kid-friendly versions of this stuff, and it's like, well, didn't you grow up on kid-friendly versions of this stuff? Don't you want the next generation to have the same experience you did? So, I saw some vitriol and stuff online, and I think there's vitriol online of every decision made ever, but, you know, the idea of these two women being hired, especially Michelle Wells, who had a lot of experience, uh, on the, the, the young adult, you know, kid friendly kind of side of DC's arm, uh, in the idea of them being in charge. And it's just like, you know what? I, regardless of how you slice it or what books you liked or, you know, collectibles or, or whatever, there was, there was something wrong with DC. And I'm not, there were a lot of good people 
people and good creators let go over TC. So I'm not trying to sit here and say like, huh, dang dong, the witch is dead. Let's go party. Because a lot of really good people lost their jobs. But I think we all saw the writing on the wall at some point. This had to have happened because you looked at like maybe DC Universe, the app, and go, well, now you got HBO Max coming out. You guys keep starting up series and canceling them. Swamp thing. Um, You look at uh, Marvel's app for their Marvel Unlimited to access all their digital stuff and compare that to what DC's digital library was. And it just something wasn't adding up there. Something wasn't adding up. Uh, marketing and toy wise, I mean, we talk. I know it was probably more on a Warner side of things in this specific example, but I'm just going to use it as an example anyway. The failure for marketing toys for Green Lantern the animated series. You know, if were there talks, if Warner wasn't going to step up and and provide some licensing to get those toys in front of people, couldn't a DC Direct or DC Collectibles put out something? Was that possible? I don't know. I didn't. I never heard of those sorts of conversations. And you know, now that after the series was canceled, it wasn't something that was even talked about. So I guess you know, you know, once the series was canceled, it's like all these stories came out of the woodwork about what's really happening behind the scenes. And I didn't hear of anything like a meeting that happened. Their DC Direct tried to save it. Um, the books being started up and canceled, uh, seemingly on a whim. If 25% of your line is not a, pro- a profit-making margin, man, something's up. So there's just there's there's so much out there that just if it didn't seem a hundred percent just wrong, these little twinges here and there at DC where you're like, well, that's a weird decision. Why'd they do that? Just sort of across the board. So. It sucks that a lot of these great people lost their jobs. Uh, I hope they all land on their feet. But at the same time, I'm sort of looking forward to what DC becomes. There's definitely a lot of stuff in my mind I don't want to see DC become. And there's definitely some things and warning signs I'm sort of looking out for, especially with this DC FanDome event coming up this weekend. But overall, man... you know, it's a good start, I think, with Michelle Wells um, uh, and um, what? Oh, yeah, uh, Marie Javins. I think it's a good start with them bringing their room on board. You know, the Comics Gate crowd was just like, oh, you brought in women as diversity hires and all this stuff. And it's just like, oh, God, why do we got to give these people any sort of any sort of platform? But, uh, you know, regardless, it's just like both of them have good histories and they're the, their histories and what they've done, the fact that they've now been made editor-in-chief, I'm sort of excited about where things are going. I don't have strong feelings either way about um, the direction, because we don't really know yet. Uh, so we're going to – I'm going to wait and see. I don't – you know, I'm not against anybody – People who deserve to be promoted, I don't care what where what where they come from, what they look like. They just you know, as long as especially if their if their primary motive is telling good stories and looking out for, and res, you know, and respecting the what respecting what they're inheriting basically, and not just 
Not like not like a Kathleen Kennedy job where you come in there and it's like, uh, well, I really it's like, yeah, I don't care whether I don't understand what I'm getting, what I'm inheriting, or I don't really care about it, and I'm gonna spin it my own way, and hey, who cares? What's the worst that could happen? Well, we've saw how what the worst could happen kind of is. So I I think we have to. I mean, the, the problem is we've been down this road so many times uh, with relaunches and, and reorganizations and reboots and oh was. Let's start the, you know, let's start with all number one issues again for the 75th time and, you know, it'll work. It'll be great for like a, for like a couple of months until people don't really care anymore. Uh, depending what it is. And it's always a fine line between, it's always a fine line between, um, going with what, deciding what, what books to publish because you don't, you don't want to just publish the same old stuff over and over again. But we also know they constantly come up with, a relaunch, or launch or relaunch books and characters that you damn well know are never going to work. So, if, I mean, if you did it as a, as a miniseries, that's okay. But if you're expecting you know, some of these, some of these books or characters that have had chances over and over and over again to be able to get a book that sells and you know as a long-term ongoing, it's very unlikely. So. I think they may be less. They may take less chances, uh, or depending on, they may, or they may have maybe a certain allotment, either percentage-wise or just in raw numbers of how many books maybe to roll the dice on. I mean, we, we you know we can we can take this many shots in, in a certain period. So you know let's be you know let's kind of I'll be a little more careful of what we're gonna take that shot with as opposed to hey you know. Uh, New Gods, you know, the 75th incarnation of the New Gods, which will crash and burn like all the others. So, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I I don't have... It's such, you know, especially from a Green Lantern perspective, it's such a really so-so time, at best, being fair, where we are in the property, that it's... it's You kind of try to... You want to be optimistic about things, but you just got to... To me, it's just wait and see at this point. It's just, let's just... Let's just see what let's just see what we get. Uh, be interesting with the fandom, you know, the fandom thing. Whether what what comes out of that? I mean, we already you know, we we already found out, which was a little bit of a surprise today, related to what what the Flash that Ben Affleck will be back as Batman or, or Bruce Wayne, one of the two. Uh, it doesn't sound like, in all honesty, it's going to be a, a a very large role, as in screen time, in that movie. Uh, but it, but the fact that that was in Variety, I thought was in. I mean, was it Variety? I thought it was Variety. Um, that for some reason, though, I, I think I'm getting Vanity Fair. That's it. It was Vanity Fair. No, it was a V. Uh, the fact that he's going to come back for that, and Mike, and I guess it's more solid now that Michael Keaton's going to be back. And you know, we assume the Flashpoint movie that will be the, the they're going to do. With, I assume with Ezra Miller, unless he gets himself into more trouble. So, I think so. That was kind. Of, that was kind of interesting, and a lot of people suspect they're going to announce, you know, where Henry Cavill as Superman will show back up again. But it will be interesting to see what related to comics and relating to their streaming platforms and everything else. What kind of information or news might come out this week, a weekend, they should say, because that's what it is, right? Yeah. Um, what was interesting is HBO uh, Max on Twitter basically teased um, teased something about Green Lantern, and I want to make sure I'm reading this verbatim. So give me a second to to pull it up. 
but essentially what had happened, uh, let's see here, HBO Max. Uh, so DC tweets, uh, in brightest day and blackest night in nine days, DC fandom takes flight. So obviously this is, you know, just some ads and stuff that they're promoing DC fandom and they're having various themes and stuff. HBO Max responds to that and says, cue me speculating wildly about what Green Lantern content we might see. Right? So at the same time, DC is running an ad on Twitter for uh, for DC characters now available as Twitter emojis. Get hyped for DC fandom with new Twitter emojis, including hashtag Batwoman, hashtag DC Wonder Woman, hashtag The Flash, hashtag Cyborg, hashtag The Sandman, and so many more. Which ones can you find? And there's a bunch of them, man. There's... There's some Teen Titans Go faces. There's Shazam. I see Watchmen. I see Black Lightning. I see the T for Titans Tower. I see Stargirl. Uh, things like that. Uh, Harley symbol, that sort of thing. Batman, uh, uh, Batman, Batwoman? Yeah, that's Batwoman symbol. I was going to say Batman Beyond, but that's Batwoman symbol. So I tried out as a tweet, hashtag Green Lantern, just to see if anything showed up. Nothing did. So then I deleted that tweet and responded about it, basically going, you can't have it both ways. You can't have HBO Max out here just be like, ah, we're going to tease some Green Lantern content for Fandom. But DC going, you know, we're not even going to bother with a simple hashtag emoji on Twitter for Green Lantern. We're going to have Teen Titans go faces. There's Raven, there's Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Robin. There's, uh, you know, there's Sandman's Hourglass. There's Shazam, Harley, Batwoman, uh, you know, all this other stuff. But we're not going to bother with Green Lantern at all as a simple hashtag, let alone during his 80th anniversary year. So it seems like we're going to get big news for Green Lantern, maybe, uh, at this event. But at the same time, they're playing both sides of the coin still about just really not caring about Green Lantern that much. So, I don't know, man. I know it's a simple hashtag Twitter emoji, but it just it felt like a slap in the face. I mean, you've got all the faces of the Teen Titans Go characters. You've got Sandman, which is cool. I gotta get it. Have you seen the ads for that, the Sandman audiobook? Yeah, there's a Sandman audiobook came out. I actually, I found out about it because uh, Kat Dennings is in it, and I follow Kat Dennings. Uh, she is playing the voice of uh, Death. Um in that, but yeah, there's a kind of a, there's a Neil Gaiman Sandman audiobook, uh, sort of half audio, audio drama, half audiobook, uh, with with a voice cast and the stuff that's either out or coming out super soon. Um, but yeah, man, I just I know it's a stupid thing to be pissed about uh, a, an emoji, but I mean it's such a simple thing to do if you're going to do all these other stupid ones. Could you not throw a Green Lantern symbol in there? Yeah, we've been down that road before. It's it's one of those things where they're kind of asking for trouble, I guess, because, yes, because of, in a way, you know, whenever you start, oh, let's use the Green Lantern Earth because it sounds cool, you know, and stuff like that. For And then you kind of, but when it comes to making emojis and, and, and icons and things people can use, it's like, you, they're, oh, I mean, the decision making behind it is always interesting because you know you're never going to make everyone happy no matter what you do, but it is interesting some of the choices they make. Like I'm, I'm still, I, I'm still fascinated that they, that, like on your, on your, 
my Disney Experience account, and you get to pick an icon for your, you know, for your for your account. And they still have, for the most part, they have, they haven't really changed. They have all some of these obscure. So they, you know, they have like Yoda. And they have like I think they have like Yoda and Darth Vader, but there's like but there's very other few Star Wars characters you can use, and they have some of these obscure char- relatively obscure characters, and yet you know they they don't have some other you know they don't have Stitch, and they don't have other things, which was kind of surprising when, when I signed up for Disney for Disney Plus. I expected it was going to be the same boat when you go to pick your icon for. You know your character for Disney Plus, but they actually had a crap ton of things, including Stitch, which made me happy. But it is always interesting how they decide which characters, you know, which characters are not represented, and 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 then again, it just, it, yeah, you would you would think, but then you see, the, the their their argument <laughs> their their argument might be, well, if we go Green Lantern, then who uh, we don't want to do all of them, so who are we going to do? So if you do this one, they're going to no matter who you just pick one, everybody's going to be mad. <laughs> You pick Alan because it's the 80th anniversary, okay, but most people don't. Most, a lot of the younger crowd doesn't even know who Alan is. They don't even know who Hal is, which is sad. You know, you have, so they might gravitate towards John Stewart, but what about people? What about Kyle and all these? So I guess so. In a, in a way, sometimes it's like, not that I'm sure they put this much thought into it. They just didn't care. But it could just be. Uh, it's like no matter which direction we go in, if we're only going to go in one direction or even two, we're going to. We could catch some hell from it too, so let's just avoid it altogether for the time being. But I don't know. Uh, we didn't anticipate this segment being this long, guys. But at the same time, <laughs> um, uh, I would assume next next week's episode is going to have the same thing. I'm assuming there's going to be a lot to talk about um, leading up to Fandom and following Fandom. Um, I mean, that always happens around a convention anyways. You know, you'll have stuff that is sort of released and teased, like the new Batman symbol and logos and stuff like that for the Batman movie, uh, Matt Reeves' Batman movie that came out today. But, you know, we're still ahead of DC fandom. I'm sure there's stuff that's going to come out on both sides and during this event. So I'm sure we're going to have a pretty large segment next week as well uh, if not that being the entire episode depending on how much news there is to discuss uh but we're here for another reason green lantern earth one volume two came out like a sneaky sob it wasn't hyped as much or, or promoted as much as the first volume yeah huh? i think that i think that's pretty str- pretty accurate i don't know if the whole covid thing got was maybe that was you know, part of it. Um, but yeah, it was weird. Even when we talked about it a few months ago, when it came up that that, that it was available, you know, that the first if the first availability of it that we knew it was coming out, that it was kind of weird just how it just kind of snuck up on us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, uh, the trade dress. Let's start there. It's a it's a hardcover. The trade dress looks great. It's uh, pretty consistent with uh, the entire Earth One line. I like that. That you know, even though the DC logo or whatever has changed uh, over the years of them been them doing this, I think uh, Superman Volume One was 2010. I think um, you know that this this look still still remains. One thing I so I, I don't mean to be critical right away, but one thing, it, it, and honestly, I don't mean even mean to say I don't like it. Just so much as I did notice it. Um, usually on these Earth One uh, hardcovers, they use the gloss sparingly. 
to highlight one thing or another. Most of the time, the covers are like a very matte thing. And I'll, I'll explain this by pointing out uh, uh, Superman Earth 1 Volume 1. The only glossy part of that cover was Superman's shield, the symbol on his chest. But did but the, and the rest of it was matte. The, this is almost full gloss for the Green Lantern image. That bothers me a little bit uh, because on the one hand, it seemed like they used the gloss to highlight power or some sort of action or something like that. And when you and when your entire cover is so, here's how we've got Kilowog. We've got uh, Tomar, we've got Sinestro, we've got Aresia, and a line of other corpsmen out there. A lot of this is just sheer power glowing, and, and in a lot of ways the gloss that is used is highlighting said power. But there's just so much of it, the, the entire image almost looks gloss, and that sort of threw me off. So on the one hand, I, I like get what they're doing, but on the other hand, it did stand out to me. Did you notice that at all, or did did that bother you in, in any way? I can't. Well, since the only one, the only one of uh, the, this line that I have is the Green Lantern Earth one, and which I did go back and, and reread, so I I could have compared covers, but I actually didn't think didn't really think twice about it. It didn't really bother me. Uh, if you look at it straight. Of course, I got bad lighting where I am, so I almost have to tilt it to see. Uh, and when you tilt it, then at least the symbols all seem to kind of pop a little. I mean, even though they're not really raised, it almost looks like they're raised. So I kind of like that effect. Um, no, I, I, I can't, I can't see that as something that it really like stood out to me one way or the other. Because especially since you have where all, where all the, all the writing is, you know, before like about an in, an inch to two inches before, around on both sides before the spine, before and after the spine, the way that's kind of like the textured and everything. I kind of like that. So I think in a way the smooth, the smoothness of the gloss kind of has a nice uh, contrast with, with uh, everything that's around near the spine. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that it, pissed me off or anything. It's just something I noticed that I thought was a little weird. The sheer amount of gloss right here compared to the other the others. I have, for the record, I have Superman uh, Earth 1 Volumes 1 and 2. I know there's a third volume out there. I have Batman Earth 1 Volumes 1 and 2. I think there's a third one of that. I don't have the tit- any of the Titans or any of the Wonder Woman ones. Um... So in total, I guess, and now including this volume, I have six of the Earth One graphic novels. Uh, the the collector, the completionist in me, wants to have them all and really put them on the shelf and look nice next to each other. But wasn't wasn't the Wonder Woman one Morrison? That sounds right, but I can't one hundred percent tell you. But it does sound like that. That was something that I did. I did know of one point. <laughs> Well, I don't think I want to deal with that. But anyways, so here we go. Uh, Earth One Volume 2 creative team remains the same, man. We got Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becco. And yes, I finally said her last name right on the first try. <laughs> uh, you guys uh, you guys are going to have to uh, go all the way back in the archives to, uh, to find that out. But uh, essentially, if you go listen to... Lanterncast episode 316, uh, where we reviewed Volume 1 Earth of Earth 1. Uh, we actually had Gabriel and Karina on that episode to talk about the book. Um, 
Uh, no such luck this this particular episode, but uh, you know, uh, it it was really cool, and they did sort of leave some hints for us about maybe where things were hopefully going. So we've got a full graphic novel here, folks. I am not going to sit here and go do a page by page recap. If uh, I'm going to do very surface level uh, here. If I miss anything, I anticipate Mark will jump in and tell me I'm wrong or wait till the end and then tell me I missed something really critical. But I'm going to go try. There's there's a lot. OK, put it this way. There's a lot more characters and concepts in this volume than there were in the first one. There's more to keep track of here. Uh, so in terms of trying to keep this all together and explain it to you surface level uh, in a coherent way is not a fault of the book. It's more, uh, I didn't write down a full recap, and there's, you know, there's, uh, how many pages is this? Do you? Uh, Does it say somewhere? Yeah, we know they're not going to, we know it's not going to be numbered because it's not a comic book. Um, I did know this at one point I saw. Was it Amazon? Because yeah, we both got Amazon this from Amazon. Amazon. It'll tell us. You, I'll, I'll, I'll look, I'll look where you're doing there. Okay. All right, so. Uh, basically, guys, this uh, this graphic novel takes place three years after the first one. Basically, uh, after the events of uh, the Battle of, of Oa. We are joining a three-person landing party as they are meeting with the uh, a, a new uh, alien race that they're not necessarily familiar with. They're kind of meeting with them for the first time to sort of exchange information, uh, I guess. Um, there's some issues with the translation uh, tech that they're u- using, but the Laron, uh, which is the name of this species, uh, have an envoy outside of Earth's atmosphere uh, kind of orbiting Earth, uh, that are kind of meeting with Earth to set, kind of set their place in the universe, you know, kind of share knowledge, information, stuff like that. This is all being sort of uh, quarterbacked by Ferris Galactic Headquarters um, in partnership with uh, Global Centcom and the NGO-led exchange mission. So basically, the people who are boarding the, the Loran fleet to exchange information, it's an NGO envoy ferris is sort of the tech behind it and centcom is kind of i guess the global or u.s government agency who's also a part of this it's it's obviously something as big as is humanity making contact with aliens to exchange information is obviously not going to be just handled by one organization so while they're there the the fleet the 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 base gets attacked it looks like because one of the U.S. or one of the government ships that are out there floating along the Loran just sort of to film all of this and make sure connect communication stays there. It looks like they start pivoting towards the ship and aiming at the ship before the ship explodes. So it looks like we're the ones, in a sense, who do this, uh, who fire the missiles and explode everything. Hal shows up. Uh kind of tries to minimize the damage, take care of some of the things. Of course, the explosion starts everybody kind of firing at one another. Um, 
Hal's trying to protect things, get to the bottom of it, save the envoy, do everything that he can. There's a burst of yellow light. Uh, some people get sucked out. Hal's able to save some, not others. And obviously then we sort of, after the in the aftermath of this, there's, of course, the news coverage. Uh, but the news coverage can be broken down, essentially kind of surrounding Hal in some way. To many, Jordan's steady presence has been a comfort, even a bulwark against a dangerous galaxy. But to others, Jordan is a force of chaos, responsible for luring uh, threatening species to Earth. His critics say we wouldn't have needed his protection if he hadn't brought the danger with him. So that sort of that sort of the sets the tone, at least for uh, Earth's interaction with alien species, as well as with Green Lantern himself. Um, some of the uh, the the Global Central Command uh, sends uh, so, um, soldiers to apprehend Hal outside of a hospital. Uh, he erects a shield. They fire on him. He destroys one of their drones and heads out. So he heads out to Earth's moon to the Jordan Aeronautics R&D facility where he picks up his lantern. One thing that we see is that they have the ship, I believe, or a version of the ship. Uh, it, it wasn't really clear to me. I'm not sure if, if uh, Hal recovered the ship that he found the lantern in or is just there they're, and they're rebuilding it or if he is using some of the tech scraps and just building uh, a, a wholly new ship. Um, either way, a kind of faster than light based ship is being built on this base. Hal grabs his lantern and flies out into space to heading to the Laron planet to sort of, you know, kind of broker a piece and be like, look, Hey, get to the bottom of this. He runs into a guy who says that he is the defender of the sector and he is, clo uh, you know, draped in yellow light. The Lorans do not want you here. Any further actions on your part will be considered an act of war. Jordan tries to, you know, I'm, I'm here to negotiate. The guy fires on him, sends him back. The ring sort of glitches out and how looks like he's about to fly back and, and hit him. But he says he's not here to start a war, flies off. And goes to find Aresia. Aresia is on Cometa uh, and is battling a fleet of Manhunters. The Manhunter threat is not eliminated at this point. It is still going on at various points across the universe. She has other lanterns with her, such as Sinestro. Hal shows up, uh, helps with the fight. And uh, just as another swarm of uh, Manhunters come down and zap a... Contingent of these yellow lanterns shows up, uh, a contingent of only two, but they took out this entire swarm of manhunters with one blow. They then fly off. Some discussion amongst the core, uh, the, the core that is present at the moment of what's going on. Uh, these, the, you know, how sort of reporting on what happened on his planet, as well as encountering these yellow lanterns. Apparently, uh, the, Yellow rings are immensely powerful, but they're unclear what they're after. There have been reports of them, um, you know, appearing throughout the galaxy. Um, so apparently the Yellow Lanterns have destroyed Manhunters, but they are also creating chaos on worlds they clearly don't understand. Aresia is the leader of the Corps at this point. 
The uh, other core members fly off to uh, Graxos to meet up with the the Graxos is the, the headquarters of the core at the point at this point they're reunited with Kilowog. Um, they find out that all of the Manhunters in the galaxy are heading towards Oa. Sinestro makes the point that that's their moment to strike. Aresia agrees. They head out towards Oa uh, to make contact. Now, and, and wipe out the Manhunters. Now, uh, Ferris, Carol Ferris is running sort of the imaging um as well as the um, the folks on Jordan's base are sort of running back the events of what happened at the beginning of this book. Uh, and they discover something. We don't know yet what it is. And they want to try and get a hold of Jordan to let him know what's going on. The, um, the envoy who met, met with the Lorans are in the custody of the Lorans on Loran prime. And this includes a, uh, an individual named uh, John Stewart. Okay, so they go uh, to Loran Prime and uh, Valletta, which is the capital city, and they are escorted into custody. The Yellow Lantern, sort of uh, uh, guiding them down onto the planet, is recalled. And then we cut back over to outside of Oa. The entire core is outside of Oa, flying down to the surface to take care of the Manhunters. As they near the central city where the power battery is, they see mountains, which they don't remember. And as they draw closer, it is destroyed Manhunters. They come across a larger contingent of Yellow Lanterns and are greeted by a short, bald, blue guy in a spacesuit. And he says, welcome to Oa, or should I say, welcome home. Now I have a proposition for you. Back on Loran Prime, the uh, contingent uh, that met to, went to meet with the Lorenz are locked up. And then we cut back to um, we cut back to Oa, where this uh, guardian, now we, we know this is a guardian, now is giving sort of his history. Essentially, one of the oldest beings in the universe. The idea was to restore order. Uh, I want th these yellow rings are more powerful. I want you to take these yellow rings so that we can eliminate hostile threats and restore order to the galaxy. Hal declines, Aresia declines, a bunch of them fly off. Uh, and then uh, as they're leaving the atmosphere, we cut back over to Loran. The uh, Yellow Lantern comes back, releases the uh, the three-person envoy, takes out one of the, the Loran guards so that he can help them escape. As they're leaving Oa, Sinestro says, this is the wrong path and I refuse to take it. He says, I'm going to go back. In your hearts, you know I'm right. Uh, and a group of about 10 or 15 lanterns, including it looks like Tomar, seem to agree. And they head back. Hal says, we can't just let them go. And Arisi says, that's what we're going to do. The core, if the core is involuntary, we're all headed towards a dark place. Back at the Jordan Aeronautics facility, they are being raided by the, uh, the same sort of uh, global CENTCOM troops that tried to go capture Hal. Uh, before that, they can uh, get their hands on all the tech inside of there. The group of scientists and various individuals there board the ship and 
fly it off into space, the experimental ship. Um, uh, do you remember? It's it, I said faster than light, but I don't remember what the, what exactly was the fuel source of this, or or what did they call it? Was it like a a warp drive, or what did they I'm say to it remember was? Where they mentioned that? Um, was that before they went into space, or was it after? Was it after? Was it before when they were working on it? I think it was before when they were working on it when House first showed up at the base. You, I'll, um, I'll keep looking. You keep going. Back on Loran Prime, the Yellow Lantern is taking the three contingent off to a secluded alley. They ask him, finally, what do you want from us? And he says, I want you to take this, as he takes off his ring to hand it to them. Back on the headquarters of the Green Lantern Corps, Kilowog and Aresia and Hal have a debate with each other. Um, if you know, you know, Kilowog's history, you know, his thought process and the way his, his people, you know, uh, thought about things in a raise, then you kind of, you know, the idea of bringing order to the galaxy with a powerful ring, more powerful than their own, that sort of a thing. Why won't we take this chance? You can't trust him. That sort of a thing. Back on Loran Prime, the Yellow Lantern, uh, hands his power pack and his ring over to them and they start asking, what you know, all sorts of questions. He says, I can no longer serve in good conscience. I've obeyed orders. I've done things that go against my core principles as a Cordian. I've killed many Lorans. I can no longer wear this ring without shame. Take it. Use it better than I have. Go home. I can't return to mine without making amends here first. John says, you're not a Green Lantern. Where is it you come from? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do a ton of reading on this, but I will read at certain sections. My home world is quarred. Not just my home world, but so much more. I don't know if the ring's translation can fully express what I mean. Quarred is the center of all things, but my people have long been oppressed systemically. It's a story too long to tell. But that was before the Guardian came to free us. He gave us access to power and dignity for the first time in many generations. We won our freedom, yet the guardians the guardian asked something in return, to follow him across a rift and free his home, too. I think you would call it a dimensional rift. The guardian constructed a larger, more powerful vehicle than the one which carried him to us. It alone can traverse the rift. That the guardian's fight for his home is not my fight. I will kill no more. One interesting thing here, just to note. You can see the enslaved Guardians in this guy's sort of flashback. And what looks like several anti-monitors are standing behind them. So it looks like uh, the Guardian helped them gain power and destroy these anti-monitors. Um, clearly, they're in the antimatter universe. All right, so he hands him the ring, flies off. Uh, and then we cut back to Oa and the Guardian ship where the Green Lantern contingent that split apart from the Green Lantern Corps along with Sinestro are being given their Yellow Lantern rings. The Guardian says that they can make a difference, erase chaos, and bring about a new Golden Age. Hal uh, speaks with one of the uh, individuals trying to get a channel over to Loran, and the hostage tells him the hostages have escaped, um, and nobody knows where they are. So Hal tries to, you know, figure out what, you know, what's going on. But all of a sudden they're interrupted by a message from the Guardian, which is being broadcast basically across the galaxy. And 
what is being said is after Earth sprays an attack on the Loran, destroying their cultural envoy ship and killing scores of innocent civilians, only Loran compassion kept Earth from suffering a just comeuppance. But new evidence has emerged. The Earthers have secretly developed faster than light travel. We knew they were belligerent and barbaric, but only now did we discover they pose an imminent threat to the galaxy. At this moment, the Yellow Lantern Corps is taking the necessary steps to eliminate that threat. Once it is secured, we will contain Earth until the threat has passed. You don't know me. You may have concerns about the motives of my Yellow Lanterns, but I assure you, we will deliver on the failed promises of the Green Lantern Corps, and after the long years of Manhunter rule, finally bring stability back to the galaxy. Um... And then he talks about his race, tries to go into his own story. This is when Hal goes off to get back to Earth and figure out what's going on. This same message is being seen by the uh, original three Loran envoy. Uh, the leader puts on the ring uh, and gets sort of overpowered. She does manage to fly them off. Uh, meanwhile, out in the Jordan Aeronautics prototype uh, ship. They're sort of drifting about with uh, sort of no idea where they're at, where they're headed. Uh, a message uh, comes in to the Green Lantern headquarters and is brought to Aresia. Aresia connects with Jordan uh, and these messages from Carol Ferris showing that the Yellow Lanterns are indeed the ones responsible for attacking the original Laran envoy on Earth. Um so Hal decides not to go to Earth. He uh, takes, he's, he, yeah, he decides not to go to Earth. Wait, does he decide in here after the message? Let's see. Da, 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 da. No, yeah, he decides after the message. There's a message suddenly coming into from uh, to the Green Lantern headquarters from every Lantern currently operating. Basically requesting backup. All the Yellow Lanterns have gone after the Green Lantern Corps and are attacking them uh, after he cuts off communication with Aresia, or at, before he's able to cut off communication with Aresia, the uh, base is attacked, and they're unable to establish a connection. He decides not to go to Earth, and he's, he's asked when he's in communication range of it. Um, meanwhile, Carol is trying to get into Global CENTCOM, this is when Sinestro and other Yellow Lanterns come up to help keep the peace. The um, Loran contingent uh, are out in space, and uh, they can't really figure out what to do, so she hands the ring over to John. He says plot and execute a course for Earth. Back over on Oa and the Guardian ship, the Guardian is building a... Uh, sort of dampener around the Green Lantern power battery. And um, he, it looks like he destroys it. That's what it looks like. Uh, it is gone in a blast of light. Meanwhile, across the universe, every lantern currently engaged in battle with a yellow lantern has lost their power and is brutally killed by these yellow lanterns, including it looks like Salak. So is Hal, who is en route to uh to i still think still earth that that's that was confusing to me when i was reading this initially anyways um he has a little bit of small small reserve power left 
He is no longer just hurtling through space. He's sort of sort of just barely drifting. He tries to charge his ring because he's been carrying his lantern on his back this entire time. He's unable to do so. Tries to figure out what life support he has. Um, he ends up uh, drifting towards a sun. Um, and uh, uh, falls uh, 3.25 hours later. He's drifting through space. He has sent out a distress signal. That distress signal is picked up by John Stewart and the others of the envoy who have found him and surround him in yellow energy so that they can get him out of the ravages of space. Um, Sinestro is down on Earth in Global CENTCOM headquarters and refuses to carry out the Guardian's uh, will any longer. He says... Um, you do not, uh, you do appear to be conversing with me through, the Guardian says, you do appear to be conversing with me through a yellow ring, which means you will continue to do as I say. And I say, you are staying where you are, rendering aid is asked. The other two are to be reassigned, not you. He says, what about Jordan? Earth system is his purview. Eventually we will have to deal with him, get him to see reason, surely then. And then the Guardian interrupts, says he has already been dealt with. Sinestro says, I refuse, I must return home. The Guardian says, interesting but disappointing. You see, I still value loyalty even if you do not, unless, of course, you misspoke. As Sinestro looks over his shoulder to look at the two yellow lanterns flanking him on either side. Uh, the Loran contingent brings Hal up to speed on everything that they've done. Hal brings them up to speed. Uh, they find the ship, uh, the faster-than-light ship, out in orbit. Everybody gets on, on board. The plan is conceived of across several pages. They're going to take the ship on over to Oa. John flies down towards uh, towards the planet, towards the Guardian ship to get scans, attacks the ship, figure out what's going on, gets the data back to them, ends up line, winds up engaged in battle. The Guardian ship heads up to the atmosphere. Hal engages it. Hal engages the Guardian. Uh, Hal is actually brought aboard by the Guardian, I'm sorry. Um, and he explains, essentially, you know, uh, uh, my plan is a, like sort of like an anti-monitor type plan. I'm going to restart the universe or destroy the universe or whatever. Of course, the anti-monitor thing was returning everything to antimatter, but I, the whole just, uh, more of a parallax thing. I'm going to destroy the universe and make it better the way it should have always been. Sort of thing. And Hal refuses. Um, Sinestro uh, engages in some uh, some battle and decides to fly with the Yellow Lanterns uh, back to the Guardian ship and back to Oa. More monologuing from the Guardian. Uh, he attacks Hal. The Sinestro tells the other Yellow Lanterns that they have been deceived to not follow him anymore. Uh, a a bunch of uh, reinforcements arrive in various ships like the Laron, uh, Kilowog, things like that, to help aid uh, Green Lantern and uh, the folks who are going up against the Guardian. Sinestro saves Kilowog. Uh, the Guardian is trying to jump, uh, making make a ship jump through the rift. Hal jumps with him and goes into. This uh, this other universe, he fires his ring at the Guardian. 
initiates the jump back. The Guardian is kind of sucked through and destroyed. Uh, the ship explodes. The Yellow Lantern uh, central battery and the Yellow Lanterns are all that is left. Um, again, none of the other Green Lanterns uh, had any sort of power to begin with anyways. While well, The interesting thing, though, is that while Hal is in the jump space with the Guardian, his ring lights up again, and that's how he's able to defeat the Guardian. So, uh, back in the regular universe, we don't see how, we don't know where he went, anything like that. All The only thing that is left is Yellow Lantern energy, Yellow Lantern rings. Everything sort of comes to a close. Uh, again, there are so many people, so many situations to keep track of. But the epilogue is on Quard in the parallel dimension three years later. Uh, a Quardian is screaming, they're back, take cover. Some folks are flying in, surrender your weapons and gather in the public square. No further harm will come to your people if you comply. And then a Quardian is rushing towards a hut, outside of which is the Green Lantern power battery. Guardian, Guardian, we need your help. I'm on it as a streak of green light comes flashing out, and we see how Jordan say, but please stop calling me Guardian. So the Green Lantern power battery was not destroyed, but rather transported into Quard. That, that was a horrible recap just because, you know, there wasn't anything pre-planned or pre-written down or whatever, but... About as best I can do without spending a sizable majority of this episode just straight up reading the book to you. So, it wasn't, what'd you it think? It wasn't a horrible recap. It's, it's, it, you, you hit the, you hit the important points. Uh, deep space drive is what they called it earlier in the book. And, yeah, there you go. and 144 pages is what, is what the sucker is supposed to be. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't entirely know what I think about this, but then I, when I went back and I reread the first one, I kind of had mixed feelings about the first one too. Uh, I do like from a visual perspective, though we kind of did get this at the end of the the original graphic novel, which is kind of interesting because at the end of this graphic novel, he's completely clean shaven again. <laughs> but have you ever really want to get a really good look at if we had been lucky enough to get Chris Evans playing Hal Jordan? <laughs> the way the way he's drawn for the majority of time in this book with his beard. There's 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 your Chris Evans Hal Jordan. Um. It was an interest to me. The most one of the more interesting things in this story was the fact that, at least according to what the, this guardian is telling us, is that he's not Krona because he referenced Krona. He references Krona and the exploits of Krona in this book. But by luck of the draw, I just happen to open it to this page. I am not the first to touch time, of course. Far from it. Long ago, there was another great Owen. His name seemingly long forgotten was Krona. So, unbeknownst to. Uh, as we probably suspected that this guy was going to be Krona, that was kind of like a little curveball that he's not Krona. Just following in his footsteps. Um, so, I, I don't... I guess I'm not a huge fan of the the, the, the Yellow Lantern designs. I don't think they're anything to... They are obviously different, but they're not... I don't know. They're a little too... They're a little too, which is a weird criticism. They're a little too uniformed, you know, with the armor and the, you know, and the in like the shoulder pads and the gauntlets and uh, other than the court, you know, the only ones that really kind of looked a little more. I can't say they look different because in a way all the Cordians look alike, but I kind of like the Cordian Yellow Lanterns. At least I think stood out a little bit more than when you had the the Green Lanterns wearing the yellow rings. Uh. 
I, I like I, even though Carol wasn't in this book a lot, I, I her role was really important, so I did like that, and I like the relationship between mm-hmm. Hal and Carol. Um, I like the you know that that moment that Hal and Carol you know have before Hal goes off to try to broker you know to negotiate and broker peace. I, I liked that when he basically comes to her as a hologram. Uh, I I do like that just the way she's working behind the scenes to, to try to figure out by looking at the the video recordings to figure out that yes indeed this is what happened that you no know, we didn't we Earthlings did not blow up the the Larian ship that it was uh those rotten yellow lanterns. So I think I agree with you on the look of the yellow lanterns, but I don't think that's the fault of of the the artist here. I just think it's the fact that the 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 yellow lanterns are largely quardians. They all look the same, a hundred percent. They're not different alien species until the group that splinters off from the Green Lantern Corps alongside Sinestro goes right. by, and I think we'd both agree that the, that's the better look. Um, so uh, I definitely agree there. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you is because I, I, you know, I still haven't watched it. So, uh, the first, uh, Green Lantern Earth one, uh, graphic novel had a very sort of aliens feel to it. Do you get that feeling with this volume? Does it sort of continue? Does it match maybe any of the sequels to aliens? Does it maybe align more with a completely different, uh, kind of, uh, you know, popular film I've never seen or or uh, anything like that I don't I mean I don't maybe it's been because it's been so long since even I did reread it but it's been so long since we did that first episode of where my mind was at the time I mean I think there's some elements you know visually that kind of like kind of like call back maybe maybe to that concept to the you know to al- the alien concept but I don't but I can't say when I was reading this. When I was reading the story, I really no, I noticed it. It wasn't anything that I didn't it didn't send the gong off or any, or had that light bulb come on over your head when I was actually reading this one. So, um, yeah. So I'm not quite sure. Okay. I would, I, so I would probably I'd probably say it's a it's that vibe is a little bit less in 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 volume two than volume one. Uh, I gotta say, I like Theresia as leader of the core. Yeah, that, excuse me, long day. Yeah, th- that was actually a, that was a nice touch. I mean, I think that was a, that was a nice touch. When you're trying, when you're trying to do different takes on characters compared to what we're used to, that is, that is, uh, that's definitely a different take and a different version of Arisia than we're used to in our, in our, uh, continuity. So I thought that was, Thought that was cool, and was it Sinestro who has an issue going to her home planet because that or her, her home planet mm-hmm. being being the base of of the Green Lantern Corps, which is you know kind of typical Sinestro on multiple levels. If it was Corridor, he probably would be fine, would have been fine with it. Uh, but. Well, you know, speaking of typical Sinestro, it's really interesting how much the Guardians' goals align with traditional Sinestro's thought process and goals. So so much so that you kind of get why he goes over to the Guardian side, but makes it all the more interesting when he rejects the Guardian's way. Well, because Sinestro because Sinestro doesn't want to be a puppet. Sinestro wants to be the one pulling the string. So even though in theory their goals might be essentially the same, it's like uh 
uh, Sinestro was going to do the Sith thing and, bu- and bide his time until he could off the Guardian and take over for himself. That, but, but Sinestro, but Sinestro tends not to be that patient either. So I, I don't think the idea of him being, you know, being a, a complete pawn and, and the guy throwing it in his face that hey, you you are wearing a yellow ring, right? So as long as you are, you're going to do what I tell you to do. That that was probably a much that was a even crappier proposition I think than you know basically Arisia being in charge of the Green Lantern Corps. Um, that that was even because as kind of as she pointed out. And you, you know, you touched upon that—the idea that it's got, you know, the core. Ultimately, what the core members choose to do has to be voluntary. They have to, you know, you can't just be ordering them all the time. You have to, because a, we know what that's like from seeing our, seeing our guardians doing it. But that's, a, but that was a beautiful contrast with what this guardian is doing with with his Yellow Lantern Corps. That basically they just exist to serve his whims. Whatever he tells you to do, you jump. You know how high. Uh, that's 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 kind of the thing, you know. I'll tell you to jump. You, how high? That's your response. That that's not. That's definitely not what Arisia's Green Lantern Corps is, is about, and it's certainly not what Sinestro wants to do. As far as you know, his goals are not. To, his goals probably ultimately were never are are slash were never to follow anyone, but certainly not to be so blatantly either either disrespected or just treated like you know treated like a minion. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's just, um, I I like that we're fleshing out this world. I like that Carol Ferris is so involved that we got Sinestro and we got Arisia and and Kilowog and and all this stuff. We got a, a we got a Guardian. We've got some Guardians. We've got we've got so many different things. But did did the addition of all of this bother bother you? Did you feel lost or? Did it just really help serve to flesh it out? Because if we kept, if we kept the same cast and the same sort of, you know, feel for uh, that we had in Volume One, I don't know that we'd feel like we were getting anywhere. But did we get somewhere else too fast? I tend to think we didn't get there too fast. I think they kind of covered their bases on that because by making it what three years after the first. So that they are mm-hmm. they are allowing that natural progression of things you know to take place. Uh, I'm I mean we kind of knew they were going with the you know the yellow lanterns. We knew they were going down down this road, but so I'm not so I'm not upset that they did. Uh, and I do think I do think it's interesting that obviously they talk a lot. They base. They base the power of the Yellow Lantern rings a lot less on certainly the fear concept that they don't really play that up as far as where the power comes from, um, but it, or what emotion you know fuels it. Uh, no, so I I think it was it was it was a natural it was a natural progression. I don't I I thought it was I thought it was a on some levels, I thought it was a more interesting story since the other one was just about you know them you know how when he's on his mission finding you know he he and his partner there end up finding the the alien you know finding the alien body and the in the, the ring and the, the power battery and and the green you know the Green Lantern Corps pretty much is all but wiped all but wiped out a few rings still exist that barely have any power because they think the central power battery is destroyed when it's actually just been basically 
shielded by the Manhunters and things of that that ilk. Uh, so in a way, this story is this story seems more depending on one's perspective. This story might be more enjoyable to some because it seems more like a Green Lantern core story, something we're more familiar with. That to some people, that because it is more similar to some of the stories we, we could imagine getting in our universe, that maybe it will it takes away from the uniqueness of the first book. So I think it's kind of up in the air on that front, you know. Yeah, I definitely thought it was a great great book. You know, honestly, uh, I don't I don't think it. I don't think it detract. I don't think reading it detracted anything for me. When I when I got this from my Amazon shipment and I opened the box, I was excited. And to be excited for something new, Green Lantern in my hands was was something that hasn't hasn't happened in a while. You know, with, with the, the Morrison book. And as much as I as much as I love Far Sector and really enjoy that book, and and it's towards the top of my to read pile, I don't get like you know, giddy to read a far sector book. It's maybe, maybe it's just the fact that it comes out. So, you know, you know, COVID aside, so regularly. Now it's an infrequent, it's a bi-monthly book now. Right. Uh, But at the same time, it's, you know, it's got a schedule. It's sort of expected. Uh, You, you can only get really one issue at a time. You're not getting a full story every time you read it. So you got to wait for the next issue. But this was, you know, a full story, you know, like you said, 144 pages. It's the second volume. I get to read like a full brand new Green Lantern story that I was actually looking forward to, you know, and it was here. And that was a lot of excitement for me. And I just, uh, I don't think that this took away any of that excitement when I done. When I, when I put it down, it wasn't like, well, that sucked. I was hoping for a lot more. Um, it matches the tone that Gabriel and Karina set for the first volume. It continues. It adds into the mythos. I still find it odd that we don't have any constructs, but, you know, that's the world that they set up. That's what they're doing. I'm thinking that volume three, if and when we get that, might go that way. Might be like, you know, to sort of... uh you know, Hal's the special one sort of a thing. You know, Hal's always got to Hal's always got to do something, whether he's like super amped up on power and does something crazy impossible or, or whatever. That seems to always happen. in just basically every Hal story, no matter who's telling it. I'm wondering if Hal might be the first one to create a construct in volume three or if they're just really going to stick with just no constructs, which, you know, I would completely understand and I wouldn't fault them if they didn't do it. But I kind of feel like that's where we're headed. Hal might come back from the Quardian universe and have, has learned a trick or two. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, it, it, I, I, I think it ends at an interesting point. Um, you have, you know, you have Hal, obviously, probably supercharged because he literally, he literally has the entire central power battery around him. Um, even without absorbing it, we assume we assume he hasn't absorbed it. Um, but you never, you know, but you never know. Um, the uh, it'll be also in relation to what you know the the yellow lanterns that still exist and and how all the characters where and all the characters that we've uh, left who we, who we've left and where we left them to see how things are gonna you know where it's gonna pick up in volume three and basically it's how gonna who's gonna who's gonna basically bridge the gap I mean, are the, are the 
but you, you assume the, maybe the yellow lanterns could get get back to, you know to cord somehow um but because because if you would think if Hal had enough power to do it on his own from the central power battery he probably would have done it in in the gap of time from that takes place between the end of the real story and the little epilogue but it'll be interesting just to see that you know the changes in quote unquote our universe when when Hal eventually comes back to it um and the ramifications thereof, especially if he takes the the green central power battery back with him. Yeah, I definitely, I, I would definitely agree. So, do you th- do you think then, since this one uh, starts off three years after the last one, and and this uh, and the scene at the very end of this one is three years after uh, the the defeat of the Guardian? You think that's where we're going to pick up, or do you think there's going to be another time jump? That's a good question. Um, that's, and it's, I think it's really hard to say because we don't know what they're th- what they're planning, what they're thinking. Um, uh, it could because really you can make a strong case either way. If they want to be, if you want to be uh, symmetrical, you had the three year gap between the le- first volume and where this volume picked up, and then you had three years at the end, so you could literally pick up exactly where we left off. You know, maybe page for page, pretty much we, ha- we see Hal taking taking care of that threat, and maybe that, and some, and somehow that adventure maybe leads towards the quote unquote uni- you know reunification of Hal and the Green Lantern Corps back together again. In, you know, either here in, in the matter universe or the antimatter universe. It could go. It could go either way. Uh, I would probably suspect it won't be an. A, a, won't be a, a huge if there is a bigger gap there won't be a, that much of one because they already purposely jumped three years just to get us basically to that you know final splash page that I don't I think that it I think you just need to I think that was I'm going to assume a large part of that was just to show us basically what Hal's been doing you know in stuck in this dimension for the last three years trying to kind of get an idea of what Hal's been doing uh, and what Hal's existence is. So I don't necessarily know if you need to have another big gap before you start beginning the next the next chapter, quote unquote, because of the fact that you know, you know, you kind of you kind of know at the end of this book that yeah, it's been three years. He he hasn't gotten out of he hasn't gotten gotten out of court yet, and he's kind of like they refer. It's kind of funny that they refer to him as as a guardian, um, but. Which again, and that was which to me reminded me again of uh, was another like zero hour like in a way callback. The idea that uh, I think from like zero what zero hour I think it was zero hour zero with the uh, you know the the like the something like the universe needs a true guardian, the universe needs me or something like that. I mean paraphrasing. So it, it is kind of like that idea that in a way that he he's kind of that he has kind of become not by choice this time though, I mean, probably not by desire, but he's kind of like. He is kind of like the defender of that of that universe and the guardian, the quote unquote guardian of that universe in name and in, by action. So I thought that was kind of cool. Makes sense. Uh, last question: Do you recommend this if someone has not read Volume One? That's very interesting, since I think I and it's harder for me to answer because I believe, if I remember correctly. Over the weekend, I did go back and I read. I purposely read Volume One before I read Volume Two, just in case there was something in it that uh, would I recommend it. Um, 
I, I'll answer myself. I don't think it's absolutely necessary that you I read agree. volume one, especially especially given the yes. news recap of everything that's been uh, everything that the planet has reacted to the idea of this core existing and aliens and coming into contact with. Yeah, them. I would agree. I was actually that that when I was debating the best debating the answer. One of the things that was in my head was that was that scene, basically that a uh, nice little way of nice little way of info dumping uh, about telling you what's been going on and since Hal Jordan basically arrived on the scene and how people have reacted and so forth and so on to the Green Lantern Corps and Hal in particular. I would agree. I think I don't think I don't think that the first uh, the first volume is absolutely critical. I don't think so. Yeah, I would say, I would definitely say if you're more of a fan of the concept of the core, get this one. And if you like it, great. Uh, if you don't like it, then you don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about getting another volume. But if you like this one, fantastic. Then that means there's yet another volume. You can go out and just really flesh out the, the backstory of, of this universe. But I don't really think it, Volume one is necessary. So if, if you're curious about this and you never read volume one or you can't find it, maybe you don't support online shopping or in, in one of more support local, but you can't find volume one at your local stores or, and you can only find volume two, go for it. I definitely would recommend this one. I would too. I would, I would say, especially if, Like you said, if you if you're intra, if you're not that familiar with Green Lantern, but you are but you are f- generally familiar with the concept of the Green Lantern Corps or that concept, the idea of whether you view it as an army or a police force, uh, the idea that all you know they're out there you know working together for common goals and thing that concept that grabs you even if you don't have experience with it, then I think this works. And obviously, if you're if you we're reading Green Lantern during the Johns era, and you kind of like the, at the very least, if not the the whole Rainbow Corps, but if you like the whole, at least the original branching off with the Sinestro Corps being diametrically opposed to the Green Lantern Corps. Um, when we thought, when we back in the day, when we thought they were quote unquote polar opposites of each other based on where they were, you know, we we we, we the way that was perceived and obviously changed when we realized what the emotional spectrum was and who lined up direct opposite against who when you put you know in, in the little charts and the maps and the way they were moving away from center that I would still recommend I, I think you, I think you'd enjoy this uh, as another like an alternate reality version of how things played out and you still have, you know you still have the guardian you get a, you kind of get a taste of the you get the guardian taste uh, and <laughs> no one that leaves the bad taste in your mouth which is what guardians tend to do anyway <laughs> so yeah it was I enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that's all we got. Uh, did you want to go ahead and tell people how they could reach us? Lanterncast.com. Uh, you can email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. We still have a voicemail. Actually, I, I did go into that, and, and theoretically I made a phone call from that voicemail, so I think we're going to be okay with that. <laughs> But if not, we'll know soon enough. We have like a few. We have until September. But seven oh eight Lantern is the voicemail. Uh, let us know what you think. You can follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Uh, use hashtag GLCast to track us down on either one of those. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a positive review on all platforms that you do listen to us on. 
as far as next week goes, as Chad mentioned, we probably will have Fandome news, and probably just to give Ch- just to give Chad a break, so he doesn't have to do two issue reviews in a row. Even though that's th- not exactly neither one. The next one wouldn't be pulling teeth if we did if we did Far Sector. Not that this one was either, but it was just big. It was more material to get through. But probably I'll just have to sedate myself, and we'll probably do the Green Lantern um, if we're going to do it. Yeah, guys, I, I I got the big one. Yeah, you 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 got the big one. I'll get the shitty one. <laughs> and, and then uh and 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 then we'll then we'll then we'll roll then we'll roll back to Far Sector. Um, so for sure. And we still have our list of topics we want to talk touch on that we'll end up plowing through too. I'm sure. Yeah, there's so. still some other topics from uh, when when you are on death's door that. We have to figure out, you know, if, if you and I are going to do, or, or uh, how we're going to divvy it up, whether it's, you know, Dan and me, or Jim, Dan, and I, or some combination of the four of us. Since there were some topics that we talked about, including Dan's channel, I think we should try to schedule that one for some time in September um, to, to do that episode, and so and so I don't feel like I'm keeping them hanging. Uh, but yeah, so I would just, so probably the best way to plan is a is fandom and an issue review. For issue four, for episode four hundred six. Sounds good. All right, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night.